0: Welcome to Documentary First, an inside look at a documentary filmmaker's journey. I am your host, Josh Lindsay from the Movie Proposal podcast. And with us is our documentary filmmaker, Christian Taylor.
1: Hey there, Josh Lindsay.
0: Hello. Not with us today is Jason Rugg. Unfortunately, Uh, yes, he he has has a life of his own that he leads and sometimes it gets in the way. (laughs) So this podcast will probably fall apart, but we'll do our best. Yes all right so christian is still in the country yes this is kind of weird it right is. here um what's new what what's what's new since we last spoke
1: yeah so when we last spoke i was with uh jason hoban and jeff Kurtnacker. it was nice to be with them again um and you know we talked a little bit of sound stuff we talked movie stuff it was great missed you and jason but uh, i didn't want to make you do two podcasts in one week so no 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 uh yeah so anyway since uh the last time i was on this podcast uh, i'm gonna kind of run through some of the things they've been pretty ordinary nothing Earth shattering. I've learned some new things. I've, you know, actually done some activities. One of those activities is trying to organize my office. So a lot of people know that we did a big renovation at my house um, over the last 10 months. And finally, my office space and downtown or downtown, downstairs basement (laughs) area uh, is completed. And so now I'm having to go through everything, you know, papers and office supplies and you know, collectibles and trophies, you know, a lot of trophies. And uh, so I'm trying to figure out what I'm gonna do with all this stuff. So a lot of office organization was happening this week. I still have a lot more of that to do. Um, Another thing that happened this week was I've been working with Flo Plana and Flavie Poisson in France to set up one more interview for the Canton project. So um, we were supposed to interview Tom Rice, who was the 101st Airborne Veteran uh, while we were in Normandy. That wasn't possible, but Flo Plana is lending us um, part of an interview that he did do with them. And so then um, we have that. And then he's going to interview a Carentan citizen that was alive during the time that, you know, Tom Rice, when he landed there, um, and we're going to talk to him about what Carentan was like during the occupation. He actually remembers the locks being shut in Carenton when the Germans wanted to flood all the fields there. Uh, he remembers seeing them actually in the act of doing that. Uh, so he's going to take us on a tour kind of of Carintham, where he lived and what he saw. So I'm super excited about that. Um, it's now all set up. His name is Monsieur Lidron, and he is going to be interviewed on July 22nd that will be an interview along with Tom Rice's interview and the seven that we did in Normandy that will go into our Carenton sizzle reel. So been working to put that together. Another thing that's been happening is Mindy Cook, as I mentioned before, Bill Ebel is um, not able to work with us until the 1st of September. So Mindy Cook, who was one of our camera operators in Normandy, she is taking uh, the seven interviews and cutting them up for me. I want to keep the ball moving with the Carenton project. Uh, while we're waiting for Bill to get back. And so I'm going to take those interviews and put them through the transcription slash translation process so I can start reading them. And then I'm going to do a paper edit of this sizzle reel. So uh, that's, that's in progress. Um, and then uh, another thing that happened this week was Um, I had uh, a lot of meetings and distribution discussions this week with, you know, Bob Miller, who is our business advisor right now, and then Ben Feithen, who is head of business operations, we've been talking about you know, this distribution situation that we're in and we've been reviewing, um, a distribution contract, uh, trying to decide, do we want to sign this contract and, and what is that going to look like? I've talked about before it's, it looks different now that our movie has been released for a year and a half. And, um, and really we don't have other distributors that we're talking to. And so we're sort of in a situation where, you know, this distributor is, um, taking on a property, in a sense, kind of doing us a favor, to take on a property that's already been out for a year and a half. Did you have a question? I saw you thinking one.
0: Uh, no, no, no. I <laughs> I'm sneezing. Sorry. Ah, no problem. <laughs> yeah, this is good. Keep going. Sorry.
1: Yeah. So we were talking about you know about the situation in terms of distribution, and I've sort of come around to um, a reality, which is um, this. Negotiating of of contracts with distributors and the costs associated with that are pretty challenging. And, you know, you've heard me say before, Josh, that if I was going to do another deal, I wouldn't do a five year deal. I would do an 18 month deal or a two year deal, something like that. And from my perspective, particularly being burned already in a distribution relationship, uh, it seems to make sense. But from a distributor's point of view, who um, it also takes time on their end. To I understand now because I've talked to this distributor. I understand now from their point of view why they would want a longer contract. So apparently, the in the old days it was a fifteen-year, you know, sometimes longer wow. um, contract that a distributor would ask for. Because there's a lot involved with taking on a a film project and getting it ready and then uploading it to all of the different things and walking with the film through the life of the film. And if they only have the property for two years or three years, uh, then they have to go through that process, um, you know it's cumbersome from them. It's not ideal for them. They don't want to have to go through, you know, those kind of negotiations or things. So I kind of get where they're coming from. Um, And from my end, I really want this relationship with this distributor to be a long-term thing. And uh, I just think there's more incentive for them if we're, and, and it expresses trust if we're willing to be in a longer distribution relationship, you know?
0: um but well, it seems you know based on your last one maybe that wouldn't be so bad if there was better communication if they actually did what they said they were going to do because otherwise you're like we can't continue this for four more years you know this yeah yeah
1: <laughs> and i and the thing is the distributor that i'm talking to now i do have a relationship with you know I've been in a relationship with them for a year and a half on other things and i have gotten to know them and I do have a an, an, a trust in this relationship, and so I think it's it's very different than the situation before. They are in the United States, that makes a big difference. Um, and so, you know, I've gotten to the place of peace of accepting this longer distribution deal. I think, um, and I also really became aware uh, in our conversations this week what it looked like on their end. So let's say they're going to. Um, you know, do 10 or more deals to get our film placed on different platforms. They have to make sure the film meets all the specs and requirements for every single platform. And then there is a cost associated with being on that platform. Um, They take a cost or they take a fee for sure of each sale. And um, so it takes a lot of time and effort. And sometimes um, they have to expend money to make sure that the film fits the right specs. Um, And there's costs for them in marketing if they're going to market on social media. Um, So, and one thing that, you know, I am learning is that there are distributors that will give you sort of a readout of exactly what the costs were and, um, and stuff like that. So You know, that was encouraging to learn. Um, And another thing I learned this week, and Ben Feithen and I have been talking about this a lot, and maybe you have some thoughts on this, Josh, but in, you know, in terms of marketing right now, there is not a lot at the distributor's disposal for marketing a film. So they can take ads out on social media. That's one thing they can do. We could also do that. But it is very difficult to think about unless you're a big motion picture studio with access to billboards and other stuff. It's very difficult to find out where you're going to market your film other than social media. Where are you going to market? I thought that you could buy ads or banners or something like on Apple TV or on Amazon. But apparently what happens is the distributors have to submit a request. So um, every month, uh, streaming platforms are looking for content to highlight, whether it's content for 4th of July, content for Veterans Day, content for Christmas, whatever. And the streamers are sort of uh, revisiting that with every holiday or every whatever, uh, where they know people will like, for example, Christmas People are going to want to see Christmas movies, and so the distributor will say, hey, I really think that you need to to spotlight our Christmas movie. Uh, and then the platform will go through all of those suggestions or applications or whatever they are, and then they will decide which ones they're going to highlight and spotlight. So each distributor then has to make their case for why theirs should be highlighted. Um. That was interesting. I, I learned that this week. I didn't know that was the case. Kind so of could,
0: so could so, so could uh marketing be cyclical then? You know, like every Fourth of July they're advertising your film, but yeah. that's yeah, maybe the only time they do it kind of thing or
1: yeah. I mean, I think they will it's the same thing like Delta is doing or Air France is doing, you know, during the you know, D Day, Fourth of July, Veterans Day, they said that they would highlight it you know, in the first part, when you sit down, otherwise it's super hard. You have to actually be looking for the film in order to see it. And that's, what's just so challenging where in the world, like, unless you are watching Netflix, Netflix, of course, is promoting their own stuff on Netflix and saying, Hey, you should watch this new thing, or this is what is trending on Netflix. The same thing is true in Amazon. You know, here's our stuff, watch our stuff. That's true on Disney, it's true on Hulu, it's true it's true on uh, Peacock, right? But in a sense, you have to go to those places to find new content. So it's up as far as I understand, maybe you know something different, Josh. As far as I understand, you know, it's not like it used to everybody was watching cable TV and there were advertisements rolling through for different stuff. I don't know
0: i I, I mean i see i i can i know disney plus does advertising for you know either themselves just disney plus and you see a highlight reel of star wars and marvel and pixar and things like that um or you might see an advertisement for the new obi-1 series um most of that's on social media but i might that might come across my feed because either i'm a subscriber already or i I'm interested in star wars things and so it'll naturally just it'll find me and, and pop it up so so they're doing those things um I, I imagine and i think even disney plus is doing stuff on tv like for you know big like a major football game or the i think they did something for the nba finals but Disney's big you know so they're gonna do stuff like that
1: right so disney has the the ability to to run ads on cable tv but have you seen ads on Disney for shows on Apple TV? Well, of course not. Have you seen, sh- you know, advertisements on Apple TV for shows for Netflix?
0: Um, I feel like I have seen crossover somewhere. Right now, Disney doesn't do advertising. Um, app, uh, Amazon you know what i'm not paying this is why we need jason yeah <laughs> um i i know if if there is advertising for example disney plus does not advertise currently where if you go to amazon's website or their even their videos you, you know they're going to have advertisement for things but they might overlap you know they might see apple Advertisement, I, mean, I think maybe.
1: that's got to be where it's going in the future, because how in the world are you going, unless you are going to every single platform to try to figure out where to watch something. And that's another thing. I think there's where wheretowatch.com or you can go to Rotten Tomatoes and say, where can I watch this? Or you're just Googling, where can I watch something? I mean, it is super hard for viewers to know where something is playing, you know, all the time.
0: Right. But I, I I don't know their business model, but I would guess it has something to do with word of mouth on social media where you get a new series directed by you know Ben Stiller and people are talking about it and that gets people to go like, oh, I need to check out Apple TV. And then once you sign up for it and you're looking for that show, you're going to see other shows that they do.
1: Right. And again, that comes back to you really the only, the main advertising channel right now for media is social media. It it just is. And you have to be then engaged in social media in order to see those things. So take my husband or my father or a whole bunch of other people I know that are not on social media. If you're not on social media, how is somebody going to find out about your film? And what's challenging in my situation is my audience is older they are older. They're not on social media. right? And so if my film is going to be on any of these platforms, how are people going to find our film?
0: Well, you know, I wonder, you know, going back to the district, the five-year distribution deal conversation in light of your film, that might make more sense in that, you know, a film might have a certain lifespan in terms of, you know, when you announce it to the world. This is my film. And then and then that kind of dies off. That doesn't mean the film's gone forever. It's just you, you just can't keep it up in some kind of spotlight forever. It's just a there's just a window of time. Now that might catch someone's attention down the road somewhere else. And it might have like a, a cult following later things like that. That happens. But you can't count on that. You can't strategize for that. Um, but if you have a if you make your film, you do the film festival run, you, you know, Delta picks it up and and then you get this distribution deal. Like you, it's almost like you kind of have to move on. I mean, and you are, you're working on your projects, but um, there's only so much you can do with the film. It, it seems.
1: Yeah. I mean, fortunately for our film, it has an evergreen nature to it. And so we can on those different holidays, you know, find reasons to promote it. I think that for me, you know, I'm still trying to break even. So for me, there is a lot of, you know, importance on trying to get people to watch the film, buy it, rent it, or, you know, find outlets for where we can be paid for people to watch it. Um, And I think I've been running through my brain to figure out how can we make this happen? And my, my events, my big events you know, when I go there and I show the film after that, people want to buy a DVD or they want to know where they can watch it again. Um, and so I I am beginning to think if I want to, you know, continue making money, the best way to do that is to do these corporate events uh, or organizational events where I go and speak and do a and a and then, you know, sell DVDs after or explain to people, you can go and watch it on Amazon Prime or Amazon, you know, rent it on Amazon. Um, I'm not sure, but the landscape is challenging for an independent, um, you know, filmmaker for sure. No question about that. Um, and it takes a lot of work either on the distributor's part and, and the filmmaker's part. I wish I could just move on and just launch it out there and go my own way. But the distributor in this situation is not going to be advertising my film and paying a ton of money to advertise on social media and different places to get people to watch it. You know, it's not a big, huge money maker, so they're not going to spend that much money making that happen. So if I want people to watch it and if I want to advertise, I will have to spend that money one way or or the time, you know, so anyway, we've been having a lot of those conversations, not a lot of clear answers. Um, so yeah, there's that. The other thing that happened this week is I did learn about Revid and Show and & Tell. Have you heard about those? No. So Revid is a very interesting model. And basically, they're an online site where you can go and build out your own Netflix world. You know, you can say, here's my streaming platform um, and you can create your own little Netflix of the internet and put your stuff up there. And then they have the connections with Roku and Fire TV and uh, Android TV and all of those things where uh, people then can go to Roku find your little corner of the world, like, you know, your little own personal Netflix and watch your movies. So that was one thing I learned about, and we've kind of been looking into that this week. And then show and tell was another thing I learned about. Show and tell is um, an online platform that really does help the independent filmmaker. Um, it's, you know, either a monthly fee or a yearly fee where you have access to all of this information about how to self-distribute, um, as well as they help you set up virtual events and tickets and things like that. So that's another thing I've been looking at. Um, you know, people might want to check out. Um so how, how do you make
0: money on revid?
1: Yeah. So revid, it's kind of the same same platform. You put it up there, people rent it. Mm. You know, a portion of it goes to Revid and then the rest of okay. it goes to you. Um then I started looking into um what I have to do for ENO insurance. And this was an interesting discovery this week. So when we were just with, to
0: remind people what that
1: is. Yeah. So ENO insurance is Arizona emissions insurance. It's something that in case somebody wants to sue you for something in your film, um, and say you did something wrong or you said something wrong or you didn't have the right to show something um eno insurance will protect you financially from um you know being financially damaged forever Um, and it really is it's an old school thing and it really doesn't seem to be relevant anymore. But every platform you're on is going to ask for ENO insurance. And I knew this all along, and I thought that I was going to have to provide that from the very beginning. But we when we went to sign the deal with FFS, one of their carrots was that they would include us on their ENO insurance. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. We don't have to pay for that, which was a really nice boon. Well, I've since learned that that is distributors E&O insurance and distributors E&O insurance does not protect the producer. So that was never made clear to me. I didn't even <laughs> know that. Okay. Um, so now I've been told that from this other distributor that I'm talking with and from an E&O insurance broker. So, um, so that was good to know. And now that definitely means because, uh, you know, because I was asking this new distributor, can you cover us on your e insurance? And their answer was, no, we don't even have it anymore. You know, in the 25, 30 years that we've been doing business, nobody has ever and nobody we know has ever made ENO and o claim. Um, and it didn't make sense for us because it wasn't going to cover the producer anyway. So now I'm in the situation of having to shop for, ENO insurance myself. And, uh, I started that, um, I got a list of about five, you know, insurance brokers and I, they sent me the list of what they need in order to give us a quote. And it's things like your chain of title, uh, your rights Bible, um, you know, any other things that we think are fair use, blah, blah, blah. And given that information, they, you know, and the link to your film, they'll watch your film, they'll look at all of the stuff that, you know, could make you vulnerable. And based upon that, they will give you a quote, and it could be anywhere from 2000 to $5,000. And you really have to have between one and $3 million worth of coverage, I think.
0: Is the, is the, 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 the premium is that annual or is that a one time thing?
1: Uh, that's a great question. Um, I think that it's um, a one-time fee, but I do have to clarify that. So I don't know the answer to that yet, quite frankly. Um, but even if it is only a one-time fee for me, I'm like, how the heck am I going to do that? And and that's, you know.
0: Have you thought about doing, going back, dive back into the voice
1: acting world? <laughs> I'm still doing voice acting. Well, although- okay. <laughs> Because I took two months off, I haven't had a lot of opportunities to do that. Well, that's what
0: I mean. You're is, is you're clearly focused on the film. Yeah. From my perspective, not voice acting. I mean, you've been in France, you know. So, uh, but it sounds yeah. like you're doing something, just not full time.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the. I think the thing is that with voice acting, everything is all set up, and really, it is just making money. Although there, I do have to spend money for demos and things like that, but it's nowhere to the degree of the filmmaking thing. And I have been using the voiceover acting and the income from that to kind of launch this other business. But yeah, my life would be a lot easier if I left the filmmaking world and went back to just voiceover. <laughs> uh, but you know, I have this creative bug now. Like voice acting is reading someone else's script, and you know just taking their money. And I don't know, it's so much. Why,
0: why, why can't you at this point, what's stopping you from saying, uh, this, you know, financially speaking, this film was a loss done, move on.
1: I can say financially speaking, this film was a loss. The issues are, I don't know. I mean, I would have to look into this, but the issues are that I am still selling movies and I'm still bringing in income. It's not like the movie's a loss and nothing's happening with it anymore. Right. I'm still selling DVDs. I'm still selling online rentals. I'm still, you know, making deals with distributors. I'm still creating events and bringing in money. So I can't really close the business because I also have to then pay out to reverse negative um, because we have a contract that they get a portion of our sales. Um, so as of right now, I can't really close the business.
0: Well, yeah, not really close the business, but, um, maybe, I I guess I asked that question because you said, you know, uh, I haven't broke, I haven't broken even on this film. And so you're actively pursuing avenues to make money on the film where that's, that's time and energy that could be spent elsewhere. And so I guess my question is, Is well, sure, if you're selling movies, keep selling movies and then distribute the money as you need to. But instead of pursuing avenues to sell The Girl Who Wore Freedom, pursue avenues to either make money in the voice acting world or pursue investors for the new projects or whatever.
1: That's an option. I mean, (laughs) it's certainly an option. Basically, it would just be closing up shop on The Girl Who Wore
0: Freedom and
1: considering it
0: well, I mean, like you said, like if people are buying films, let them keep buying films. Right. And then you distribute money accordingly, but uh, you're, you're just not, you know, get, get a distribution deal, let them do their thing. And if they strike gold, fantastic. Right. You know, cause you're not like burning the building down. You're just not pouring energy into how do I advertise for this film? How do I, you know, get, get into corporate events, you know, and, and, Da, 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 da you know, you're, you're taking energy out other places.
1: It's true. And I've actually thought about that. Part of me is so worn and weary. I mean, we talked about that a couple of days ago that I just feel like I'm constantly trying to keep the ship afloat um, and figure out how I'm going to um, you know, make money on this film. And at some point it may, it may get to that. You know, I may mean, just to leave it leave it behind and move on to the next thing. So that is also an option. Okay, <laughs> that is an option. Um, because I mean, at this point, you know, there are going to be distribution expenses that I have that I'm going to have to even just to get it launched. I will have to buy this Eno you know, insurance. I also will have to pay for the right. You know, I have rights to music in my song uh, in my film. And so I'll have to pay a couple thousand dollars for that. And it's possible that we are going to have to pay extra money to have a certain file made for closed captioning. So, I mean, it could be up to another, you know, five to five thousand dollars or more just to be able to get it distributed. So. So, yeah, that's kind of where I am. Um, we do hope to be able to distribute it by November 1st, like the street date for this new launch would be November 1st, right before, um, right before veterans day. And, you know, the hope is it would be on Amazon and iTunes and, you know, several other platforms. Um, so, so we'll see that's where that is. That's what's been happening this week. Um, and I wish I had more exciting news, but
0: well, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's part of the film business, right? You know, so, okay. well, Hey, why don't we shift gears and go to our uh, it's not, it's no longer our new segment, but our next segment because it's now time for docu view deja vu.
1: Excellent. Let's do it.
0: What, so what I, I'm going to, um, this is a film uh, 2004. Yes. Documentary. It's Star Wars Empire of Dreams. It's the making of Star Wars, basically, and the story of George Lucas and so on. You can see this on Disney Plus. It's, you know, obviously there's the original trilogy with Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill and so on. Uh, And then Disney took it over and, and they've done mostly not great stuff. Uh, some some cool stuff uh, but that doesn't change the original trilogy and and so I imagine if you're a Star Wars fan you've already seen this but this is just a very good not just Star Wars but kind of behind the scenes of filmmaking and you know and how you know the films got made and Lucas's film got or career got built uh, but again it's Empire of Dreams uh, on Disney Plus uh, I think it's kind of long I'll right? uh, Again, this is why we need Jason. Um,
1: I've never seen this. Uh, never even heard of it, actually. So I'm super. I, I love Star Wars. And I think I'll love this. Um, it Does it just cover those first three episodes?
0: Uh, the trilogy? Uh, yeah. Just the first three.
1: And yeah. did Disney make this?
0: No. I think they just own it. Because um, it came out in oh four. When did they buy Disney? Um,
1: when did Disney buy Lucas?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I have a feeling it was made before Disney took over uh, because I, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't think, I, but they now own it because it was part of the Lucasfilm, okay. you know, thing. Uh, it's two and a half hours long. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, but it's great.
1: Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. I can't wait to watch that. Uh, that will get me off the, you know, murder and scary thing <laughs> I've been watching. because. Um, right, right. I don't know how I got in this world because typically I stay away from anything scary or troubling, you know, we live in a troubled world enough. I wanna be entertained and happy. And uh, so, but, you know, I think my husband started this a while back having us watch true crime documentaries. And anyway, I got sucked in. Uh, And then currently my uh, 21 year old son, Josh, uh, started me down the road of watching Stranger Things and uh, I know you guys talked about that on the doc- on the movie proposal, and I've been dying to listen to it now that I've been watching, but I'm only beginning the third season.
0: Oh, yeah, you got to
1: uh, wait. Uh, I'm a little bit behind. But anyway, so my mind has been full of Stranger Things. And this next uh, show I'm going to be talking about, it's a documentary series. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it or not. Uh, the Web of Make Believe, Death Lies in the Internet. No, no. Uh, it's been fascinating for me. Um, it's You can watch it on Netflix. Uh, it is uh, 80% on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Um, this is uh, a series about um, basically what the internet has been doing to uh, our brains. Um, there are six episodes in this um, series. Um, I haven't watched all of them yet. The first one is Death by SWAT, which was... <laughs> so frightening. Have you heard about this? What's no. no, basically it's people calling in fake bomb threats so that the SWAT team will show up oh. and they do it because they get a rush of seeing schools evacuated or, you know, big, huge stadiums, stadiums evacuated and seeing this on TV and knowing that they created this chaos. Uh, So that was crazy. And the next one is a murder in DC, which was you know i forget the guy's name but um you know he was a political staffer um and he was the one that the right always kept saying the left is covering over his murder and ruining the lives of his parents it was it was unbelievable um and then the next one is i'm not a nazi that was the one that i finished last night and that one is all about a woman who was in this alt-right movement and now has been out of it and explaining what ha- happened and what that life is like. And so that was, I am very interested in politics. If you listen to the Holy Post, you know that, um, but that was fascinating for me because it it gave you an inside look into those organizations and what they're like and what they do. And um, yeah, but it was, it was pretty frightening. So seeing how the internet sort of radicalizes
0: people and I'm sorry. Did you say? Where did you say you can see this? Netflix. Netflix. Okay. Netflix, yeah.
1: Web of make.
0: Web of make believe. Yeah. No, I've watched. Uh, I haven't watched any true crime documentaries lately, but we've watched some true crime narrative series where it's based on true crime, but it's you know it's it's acted out and so on. And we've jumped from one under the banner of heaven now to the staircase. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's uh, there's lots out there. It's never ending amount of true crime. Whatever.
1: yeah, so you know it's there really is. It's huge in the documentary world and in the narrative world. And another thing I learned this week is um we did get sort of the final death knell from um Virgil films, who was shopping the um the brave Dutch, trying to find upfront money to make the series. And basically, you know, they're like, hey, we've tried this every way we can with everybody we can. Disney was ultimate, was interested first and asked for a sizzle, which we didn't have. Sadly, mm-hmm. I feel like we missed that opportunity. But, um, but anyway, basically, nobody is willing to give us money to make this documentary series. And the thinking behind it is that he basically said nobody really uh, finds this interesting. They're not wanting to look back at historical things. They're trying to reach a younger audience. uh, And there's really not a lot of documentary series out there. Um, And I, I started thinking about, there's tons of documentary series. And when I was going through and trying to find you know, World War II documentary series, he's right. There's a couple that are old and were really successful in the past, but for the, for the most part, the popular things are these true crime and slash horror thriller things. I mean, that's what everybody seems to be in. And it is where the money is made in both, you know, narrative features and series. What is up with us?
0: I I don't know. I, it's, the The under the banner of heaven was about this gruesome murder uh in the mormon community, and the family members of the victim were very much please don't make this series we you know like and it's disturbing because you're you know they're they're turning their tragedy into entertainment and I'm thinking like, man, I think I'd feel the same way if that was my sister on the other hand, it's fascinating, you know you <laughs> It is entertaining. It is like I it, but part of it is it's kind of like a horror film in general where people like to be scared like they like to be scared in a roller coaster. That's fun because there's this thrill and this rush and then this release and um but also there's it's almost like this like we often think of like uh worst case scenarios in our minds and it's it's almost a defense mechanism where we think of like either if I think Stephen King said this like I think of the worst possible thing that can happen almost in a way to make sure that doesn't happen because if I think of it, then it's not going to happen. Right. Um, or we think of it like, well, if it does happen, I'll be ready for it. So it's like a, right. preparation. Like I feel better that like, if someone breaks into my house, I know what I'm going to do and how to fend this person off. And, and these shows are almost like, uh, Warning signs, or teaching you who to avoid or what to avoid, you know. And so, like, what did this person do that got him in trouble? I want to make sure that won't happen to me, kind of thing. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good point.
0: I think that has something to do with it.
1: Well, apparently, that's what's selling, uh, and that's not what I'm making. So,
0: <laughs> unfortunately, yeah. I, you know, it is interesting. Like years ago, like with '80s filmmakers it was kind of like if you want to break into the industry you had to make a christmas movie or a rom-com the, uh maybe a rom-com um i think it was even more specific than that but like if you could make a successful christmas or whatever the other one was then you were established and people would say all right this guy's bankable and or this girl's bankable let's, let's see what else they can do that was kind of how you broke into the industry but um i guess true crime now is is the way to go
1: and well and they they horror it really is the overarching banner and everyone if even if there is a thriller element at all they will label it as in the horror genre because that's what sells
0: that's what sells so all right well right um anything you want to remind or uh, listening folks before we part way i
1: just want to thank people for listening um it really means a lot to me that you guys listen that you keep up with what's going on with me and the company uh you patreon supporters are uh are, are rock stars uh we just love it that you are supporting us every week and we are so thankful for you i hope you got my message that i sent out um so i am the I'm now kind of in charge of our Patreon. Uh, Mindy Cook has stepped back to make money. uh, So it's just left up to me. So thank you for your patience as I try to figure out how to manage Patreon. Um, And if you are listening to this and you want to know how to support us, you can go to our website and make a donation or you can reach out to me directly. I love hearing from our listeners. So thank you guys for listening and for supporting.
0: Yes, thank you for listening to Documentary First, where we believe everyone has a story to tell and you can be the one to tell it.
1: Yes, you can. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Documentary First. We really appreciate your partnership with us. We can't do any of this without you. So thank you for listening, donating, and following along on our journey. We are supported by generous donations from people just like you. To make a donation, visit thegirlwhowarfreedom.com. Or support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash documentaryfirst. To learn more about our other works in progress, visit documentaryfirst.com or follow Documentary First on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. This podcast was produced by Documentary First, edited and mixed by Jason Hoban, with music by Jeff Kurtnacker.